0: of forgiveness that we may become for you your brain for the world amen, amen. please be seated <clears throat> now jared and i are part of a zoom-based lectionary bible study okay, take this off. Anyway. we're part of a bible study for diocesan priests. We're on that each week. And a group of us read the Sunday lections and talk about what we might preach about. So if you wonder where my sermons come from, I get them from other people. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least they can really focus me on what I need to pay attention to in these readings. And so this week, I wanna give credit where credit is due because I've been thinking a lot about a story that one of the clergy, Robin, told about forgiveness. When her daughter was young, Robin shared, she attended a home daycare that taught the children that when someone apologized to them, as preschoolers are routinely made to do, they were not to say, it's okay. They were encouraged to say, I forgive you. Because when someone harms another person, it's not okay. And their apology doesn't make what they did okay. And sometimes the feelings that you're still feeling aren't okay. So if you want to accept their apology, these children were taught, say, I forgive you. Now, for things like cutting in line or hoarding the best markers, that can be a pretty quick process. For the bigger things that we grow into, getting to, I forgive you, can take a bit longer. As they say, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. But that is an entirely different and much longer sermon. (laughs) One day, Robert (coughs) said, She apologized to her daughter for something she did, like you do when you're a parent. And her three-year-old said, I forgive you. And that comment startled her. And Robin said it made her a little angry. Who was this preschooler to say that whether Robin was forgiven or not, who was she to forgive me? And here was revealed to Robin, the power that is contained in the eye of I forgive you. Because it acknowledges that there's a relationship involved there, and the one who was hurt has some agency in what happens next, whether things are really indeed okay. And Robin's story made me realize that I'm like that. Very often, when I apologize, I want the person that I'm addressing to tell me that what I did didn't hurt. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't my fault. It's okay. Often, that means what I really want is to be released from my feelings of imperfection, to get rid of the gnaw of guilt, rather than really wanting the person I hurt to be healed. So it stings to hear, I forgive you. It stings to hear, yes, you hurt me. And I appreciate that you are taking responsibility for it. And I accept that, and I want to stay in relationship with you. I forgive you is a little more truthful than it's okay. It's judgment without condemnation. Judgment that's graceful and merciful. And that sting just might prompt me to wonder what the path is to things really being okay. And now we're in the territory of the gospel. Though at first glance, it it does seem a bit harsh, I think it's the brood of vipers language that gives it away. That's the tell. This is not a sweet story about a healing ritual. Because John has stepped into the waters of the old time prophet, of one called by God to help Israel face the truth of who it is and to get ready for what's coming next because it's going to demand the full strength of their covenant with God. John's baptism did not make the impure clean. It didn't remove sin. It ritually acknowledged that the life had already been cleaned up, that the change had been made, the heart returned to God. So unless you've done that work, don't get in john's baptism line so what then does john's baptism with water do and what does Jesus' jesus's baptism with fire do now john's baptism invites israel to return to right relationship with god it proclaims that israel has repented and is ready for the life that God will initiate through Jesus. What are we to do, John, to show that we're ready for your baptism? Ask the crowd, and the tax collectors, and the soldiers. (coughs) Stop sinning, says John. Stop invoking your privilege, and hoarding resources, and keeping aid back from those who need it. Stop misusing your power and extorting people. I'm a prophet, John would have said. Don't tell me this is the first time you're hearing this. (laughs) Stop sinning. Get your covenant with God firmly in place. Because when Jesus comes baptizing, look out. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John says of Jesus, his windowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And Luke calls that good news. Threshings, pitchforks, unquenchable fire, that sounds like judgment to me. And I think this is where we often go in our imagination of what God's judgment of us is. It sounds like brutal, terrifying condemnation. But what if that threshing and chaff removal and sifting is actually what an encounter with God's love looks like? What if that's the refining process that happens when God says, I forgive you. From our perspective, it looks like judgment. From God's perspective, it looks like love, Jared observed in our lectionary group. And that is because God tells us the truth about ourselves. And sure, it stings, because truth stings. But what if God's judgment invites us to see ourselves as God sees us, as we truly are? And what if that involves freeing the core of us that God rejoices in and delights in? What if on the other side of God's judgment, we see ourselves as beloved as God saw us from the beginning and still sees us? Consider how John the Baptist describes the baptism offered by Jesus. The threshing floor, the winnowing fork, the fire that burns the chaff. These are all means of removing the extraneous material from that valuable, useful grain. If we're talking about people who have already repented and emerged from John's baptismal water, then it looks to me like Jesus is processing the grain for its actual use. And this is the process of God's love in us, removing that which is not love, which is not necessary, which is perhaps not true about us, and carefully gathering up and preserving what is true Beloved, essential to us, and to God. You can call that process judgment. You can call it love. To those of us who do not want to let go of any of it, it sounds terrifying. Because I'd rather things be okay than to admit that I need to be forgiven for all that does not flow from love. I think sometimes I'd rather bring all my sins to God with a little apology for packing so much, coming with so much baggage, and just have God say, it's okay, it's fine, come as you are. (coughs) But real reconciliation with God means bringing all that stuff that we can't manage to put down and allowing God to remove it for us. When God says... I forgive you. I think it means I see your sin. I acknowledge that you've done harm to yourself and others and me. And I remove its power over you and your attachment to it. And we are in relationship. And so that includes removing things like our shame and our fear and our perfectionism our tendency to dominate, our inability to give, forgive ourselves and be merciful to others. And God calls upon the wind of God's Spirit to drive it away from us and the fire of the Spirit to consume it entirely. In stories of God's judgment, I think we forget what remains that there is something in us that is also wonderful, beautiful, useful, effective, necessary to the work of God. The grain of wheat in us that is seed and food remains. And that is what God's truthful gaze, God's fiery love, frees in us. So consider that when you say amen to the communion bread today. You're not just consuming the wheat, you are becoming the wheat. And that act of threshing and winnowing and sifting is the powerful work of our transformation into Christ's body. And that puts a new shine on the rose candle of Gaudete Sunday, our third Sunday in Lent. This or in Advent, in this day when we are waiting to make special room to rejoice. It is a lovely light in a darkened room. But put your finger in that flame, and it burns, because it's fire. The Lord is near, says the heat of that flame. Do not worry about anything, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that, as Luke says, is indeed good news. Amen.